Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Matthew 8, Matthew the 8th chapter. A few days ago, the Lord quickened to me this this subject that we're beginning today, a, a new series. And it is called The Greatest Faith. Anybody interested in that? Hope you didn't say, oh no, not faith again. (laughs) Not faith again. (laughs) You mean you're tired of pleasing God? You're tired of having victories in this world? Tired of receiving? Being blessed? No. Well, if faith would please God, what would great faith do? Please Him a lot. Is that right? If faith would get victories in this life. The Bible said, you know, what's the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. If faith would get victories, what would great faith do? Great victories. We're talking about different degrees of pleasing God, of victories and overcoming. And this is, you'll find this revealed in numerous places in the New Testament you know, and just keep your place in Matthew 8 while I talk about this a little bit. In Luke 17, you know, the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. Well, he didn't say, no, it can't be increased. He told them, basically, that they needed to use what they had. Faith comes by hearing. Faith develops by using You don't need to just beg for more faith. You use what you got. It's like a muscle. If you use it, it gets stronger. And faith, uh, you know, on the front of the building in Branson is part of the verse that says, uh, exceeding faith, abounding love. Because in that passage, he talks about that their faith is... uh, exceeding their love is abounding we're not supposed to be stagnant and we're not supposed to decrease we're supposed to have stronger faith this year than we did last year come on somebody said by faith I'm not moving down I'm not moving backwards I'm not losing faith nor am I staying where I am what are you doing In Romans, it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Does this sound like levels? From one level of faith to a greater level of faith, a stronger level of faith. And you know, greater faith makes your life easier. I don't know if you heard that or not. We, We talked about this Friday night. The more faith you have, the less you worry. That's just how it is. Not in a few cases, every case. You worry a lot, that's a sign of little faith or no faith. The stronger your faith, the less you fret. Regardless of what's going on, it's possible in the midst of the worst trauma and situations to have the peace of God that passes understanding. Keep in your heart and your mind. Somebody say, thank you for it, Lord. 
But how much we experience depends on our choices. Faith is a choice. Fear is a choice. A choice to fear, a choice to believe. It's a choice. You hear sometimes people say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just can't believe that. No, I can't believe that. That's a lie. They're believing a lie. There's no such thing as a human being that can't believe something. You, to say it right, you should say, I choose not to. By nature of what faith is, it doesn't require any physical evidence or any understanding. It's a choice. I'm glad, by the grace of God, I was able to choose this faith life, this trusting Him, believing Him. Man, it takes the stress off of you. It, it takes the way. I spend no time losing sleep, worrying about if I'm going to make heaven or not. And it's not because I think I'm living such a perfect life. I have faith. I've chosen to believe. What the scripture says and what the Lord says he's done for me in Christ. He paid for all my sins. He took my place. He was judged in my place. And because I've received him, my name's in the Lamb's book of life. They're working on my mansion right now. How about you? Yours too? Yours too? I want to see yours sometime. You can come see mine. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a cookout. <laughs> you know you can eat there. There's going to be a great supper. Marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> that made somebody happy right there. Wow, yay. <laughs> but faith is a choice. and a, but, but faith is not a static thing. Jesus talked about to people, you know, you of little faith. And some individuals, he said, you have no faith about that particular thing. But two individuals out of all the ones that he came across, just two, he said had great faith. Oh, somebody say great faith, great faith. And if you look up that same word translated great is also translated greatest, which is where I got the title. It's not just great faith, it's the greatest faith. As you'll see, he said on one occasion, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, this is the greatest faith I have seen in the country. Well, that included the 12 disciples. That were with him. And both of these individuals that you'll see, the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman, both of them were not who you would expect. <laughs> one of them's a soldier, probably a hard guy in many ways. The other one came from a completely ungodly background. Neither one of them we have any reason to think we're Jewish or had any background in the word or the law. This is a revelation that you often do not find faith where you think you would. And you do find strong faith where you would not expect it. 
It's surprising. Well, what, what does that mean? That strong faith is not the result of what a lot of people think it is. Or elsewise, you'd find it where you'd expect to find it. Did I lose somebody? Okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> if strong faith is the result of what people think it is, maybe you go to church a lot, then you'd find it where you would expect to find it, among church people. But here are two we have no reason to think, knew much about it. The centurion, he did some good things, built a synagogue, so maybe at some point he's getting some influence. The Syrophoenician woman, no, we don't think so. But either way, Jesus made the remark. Do you want to know what constitutes the kind of person that has the greatest faith? You believe you could be that? You, yes. you could have that? I could have that? Yes. All right. Here we go. All right. <laughs> if you're sure, you want to know. Okay. Matthew 8, are you there? Matthew 8 and verse 5. Let's just pray another prayer and ask the Lord to show us. Do you believe these words are living? That was four or five people. How many believe these words are living? These are living, living words. They're not just some dead ancient record. They're living, God-inspired, God-breathed, eternal words. Jesus said and did all kind of things that are not in this book. But the ones that are selected were handpicked by the Holy Spirit for every generation and every time. So say it out loud, Father God, open my eyes and help me to see what you want me to see from these passages. What was it about this man and woman that allowed them to have the greatest faith? Help me to see it, that I also may have the greatest faith. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Matthew 8, 5. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion. A centurion. A centurion, you could call an officer in the Roman army. And uh, centurion's had a lot of authority and clout. They were over at least a hundred, which were, you know, the centuries. But depending on what time, they could have been over much more than that, 200, 300, more, hundreds. And uh, you didn't get to be a centurion just automatically. This is likely someone who had served for years in the military already as a uh, what they call them, legionnaire, and uh, somebody who excelled in the handling of their weapons because they also would train the men under them. And they led from the front, not the back. 
When they went into battle, the centurion was in the front. And he had markings and insignia that everybody could see. He's the leader. Well, that makes you a target in battle. But they, he wore them anyway. <laughs> he had to have some courage. And he was, you couldn't be a centurion if you didn't inspire your men. You led by example and you trained. Normally, Roman citizens couldn't be punished without a proper trial and everything, but a centurion could punish a citizen. They had some clout. They had some authority. So this man came beseeching him, and verse 6, he said, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy. So some form of paralysis, grievously tormented and obviously in pain. Constant pain. Terrible situation. Verse 7. Jesus said. It might not be God's will. If it be. God's will. What did Jesus say? What did he say? Come on help me. I want to hear you say it out loud. What did Jesus say? I will come and heal him. Do you understand? We, we have no indication or record that Jesus ever said, I won't. He never said, I won't heal. I will. Is he the same? Yesterday and today and forever. Is he no respecter of persons? If he said it then, he's saying it now. If he said it to him, he's saying it to you. If he's not saying it to you, he's a respecter of persons. If he's not saying it now, he's changed. Somebody said out loud again, I will. He will what? I'll come and heal him. Glory to God. Glory to God. Keep reading. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Verse 9, for, he's telling him why he just said this, for I'm a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. In other words, it's under my authority. I say to this one, go. And what does he do? He goes. I tell another one, come. And what does he do? Comes. I tell my servant, do this. And what happens? He does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Marveled. Jesus was impressed by this. How many like to impress Jesus? Oh, come on. If, you don't, if you're not interested in that, I don't know. Huh? Anybody like to impress? I mean, this is a high thought. Impress the master. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it impressed him then, it'll impress him now. 
He marveled. Jesus marveled. What does that sound like? Jesus said, my, my, my. Would you look at that? He marveled. He said, verily, absolute truth here, I tell you, I haven't found so great faith, no, not in Israel, not in the whole country. And all the 12 behind him thought, really? <laughs> and the 70 that he sent out are going, well, what, what are we, you know? <laughs> well, you're not that. You hadn't been that. You see what I'm talking about? It's, it's interesting how so many times you don't find faith where you think you would. And you do find strong faith in surprising places. He said, verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith, not in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and west and will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You know who that is? That's us. That's you and me. Many of us will come from, from different directions. Talking about outside of Israel. And they'll sit down with Abraham. You're liable to have a meal with Abraham one day. Let him help catch you up on. <laughs> Would you like to sit down with Abraham? And say, uh, could you tell me exactly how that went down that day on the mountain with your son, Isaac, you know? And uh, I'll just be quiet and listen. Would you? <laughs> Tell me exactly, you know, and, and uh, when God told you he's a father of many nations, he took you out and showed you the, the stars. What were you thinking? How, t- tell me, how's that? We're going to get to meet these people. We're going we're gonna to get to be involved with them, talk to them. Verse 12, but the children of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. What does that mean? People that should have been a part. Wind up not being a part. And this is particularly a lot of the seed of uh, Abraham. Natural seed of Abraham. Sadly, so many of them are not believers. And he said they'll be cast out. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, be it done to you. And the centurion said, you're still going to come pray for him, aren't you? (laughs) I'd really like for you to come lay hands on him. I mean, you're not far away. Could you? No, this, that would contradict why the passage is in the Bible. Jesus is giving this centurion a command. He's used to commands. He's used to following orders. And in their ranks, there was strict discipline. You didn't mouth off to a commanding officer. That's why he said, when I tell him to do something, he does it, buddy. When I tell him to go, ain't no discussion. 
He goes. And this is one of the big reasons why faith is so weak in our generation today. The lack of this. Don't get too quiet. What do you mean? Thank God for our freedoms. We've been talking about that earlier today. But many people think because they're free, they don't have to listen to anybody about anything. And the reality is, if you're that way with people, you're that way with God. No matter what you may think. Love for God is revealed and shown in love for people. Have you read that in 1 John? If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, he said you're a liar. And the same thing is true in these other areas. If you don't respect any people, you don't respect God. If you don't submit to any people, you don't submit to God. If you don't listen to anybody else, you don't listen to God. These things are revealed in what you do or don't do with God's representatives and with the people God's placed in your life. In the centurion's mind, he did this just like he functions in the military. He comes and he said, permission to be healed, sir. (laughs) Just, Just give the command, sir. Just give the command. And Jesus looked around and said, would you look at that? Would you look at that? This man has off the chart faith. He's not a preacher. He's not a scribe. He's not a doctor of the law. He's not somebody that prays 12 hours a day. He's a fighting man. Military man. Then he looks at him and says, be it done to you, just like you believe. What did the centurion say? Thank you, sir. That's it. No checking, no looking for symptoms, no running some more tests. Come on, y'all listening to me. This is the difference. Do you accept the word of the Lord as final? Most do not. Most will pray and then they'll check. The Bible said that you and I are even to endure hardness as good soldiers. Am I quoting that right? Do you remember that? And yet, most of the body of Christ, they lost their jacket, their shoes are not shined, they're untied, and they come and go, I need to be healed, Lord. I need to be healed. I really need to be healed. He said, you are healed, soldier. They go, I know you said that, but I'm still hurting it. I feel so bad. And they're disheveled and they're undisciplined. And it's not just being a lack of that. That is connected to no faith. And I think many have not made the connection. Nothing spiritual about being sloppy. Some have imagined, yeah, I'm just going to believe everything's going to be all right and just fly by the seat of my pants and not do anything, not prepare for anything, 
Now, you know, and we live in a society where nothing's important. People don't make a big deal out of anything. They don't dress up for anything. They don't make special preparation. Everything's okay. It'll be okay. No biggie. No biggie. Well, there's supposed to be some things that are biggie. God's things are supposed to be biggie. Right? And it ain't a matter about having a bunch of money to buy a bunch of expensive stuff. It's just take clothes, for instance. If you got two t-shirts and a pair of jeans, you don't have to go out and buy a suit. Just wear your good one. Are y'all with me or not? Go ahead and wash it. Wouldn't hurt to break the iron out. Is that right? I I know it, but go ahead. Break the iron out. Put a crease in them jeans. Won't hurt you at all. Wear your good one. Wear your good one. Clean yourself up. Carry yourself. Right? Don't slump around, slouch around. You're a child of God. Is that right? Carry yourself. Not with pompous pride, but with some dignity. There's difference because of whose you are and who you represent. And it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, structure. It's a matter of your heart. Because the sloppier you are in life and the looser you are, that's an indication of no faith. One big thing about faith, anybody remember in Hebrews 11, Noah had faith. How was his faith demonstrated? He prepared. Is that right? He got ready for years. He got ready. Worked hard every day. Pumped all his money into this thing. Said out loud, faith prepares. Well, big faith prepares big. We've had people ask us, what are you you going to do with all them 30 offices over there? We'll find out. (laughs) How many of us better to have more than you need? You know, we've done that on the churches. Uh, You know, we we hadn't always had the back filled up. And you know, you you put 1,000, 1,500 people in a building that seats 3,000, it don't look like you got a whole lot of people. But you do. But then we have meetings like KCM. We had the room. Max that place out. Better to have more than you need than not enough. And big faith prepares big. Little faith prepares a little bit. No faith says, we'll wait and see if we need it. Wait and see if we need to do anything. <laughs> we'll just wait and see if. No. Real faith will be evidenced in diligence, discipline. Have you noticed the creation of God? There's some order to this thing. Is that right? Well, we better be glad there's some order, you know, to our solar system. Are these planets that bump into each other? And that'd be into this deal. Even in its fallen state, there's still so much evidence of a perfect system. The the systems have been affected by sin and the curse. But even in their fallen condition, you can see they were designed perfect before they fell. And God's going to restore it all. Keep reading. He said, go your way as you believed, 
So be it done to you. He gave him the command he asked for. He said, all right. So be it. Be it. And see, we need to see the significance of the word be. Do you know how this planet and the star and everything that's our sun came into being? God said, light be. Become. It's a creative command. So when he says, go your way, you got it. We're done. You don't need to see anything else. Don't need to hear anything. You wanted a command? Here it is. So be it done to you. Just like you're believing. Be it done to you. And apparently that was it. And his servant was healed. Oh, somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. How many believe this happened exactly like this? His servant was healed in that self-same hour. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go to Luke 7, please. Luke also records this account. And you've got to put them together to get all the details. Luke 7, verse 1. Talking about the greatest faith. The greatest faith. Verse 1, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, and see Dr. Luke, adds that he was dear to him. He's not just a hard man. He's his servant, but he cared about him. He was dear to him. He was sick and ready to die. He's at the point of death. We look at Matthew's account. We know he had paralysis of some kind and he was in pain. And Dr. Luke tells us he was about dead. He was at the point of death. Verse 3. When he heard of Jesus, who heard of Jesus? The centurion. He heard about, what did he hear about Jesus? Well, you know, Acts 10 gives a summary. It says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, he went about doing good and healing all. Oh, don't you like that? Healing all. Why would this centurion think that his servant could get healed? Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. This passage caused all the people that got healed in Jesus' ministry satanically oppressed. Sickness is satanic oppression. It is not some blessing in disguise. Anybody with me on this? Don't believe these lies. There's nothing good about sickness. It's evil. It's okay to hate sickness. Now you love sick people, but you hate the sickness. And the same thing is true with poverty. There's no redeeming quality about poverty. You love poor people, people in need, but you should hate. Poverty is killing people on this planet. Sickness is killing people. It's destroying people. It's robbing children of their parents. It's robbing parents of their children. 
husbands and wives of their spouses, is stealing all their money, is taking their time, is destroying their careers. People are literally starving to death for lack of a good meal to eat. That's poverty. It's evil. You should detest it. You should despise it. You should be full out against it. No embracing of it in any part, shape, form, or fashion. No implying it might be a blessing in disguise from God. That's not true. It's not true. What are you supposed to do with the enemy? Resist. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. When this man heard of Jesus and heard about the healings that had been happening, he sent to him the elders of the Jews. Now this is interesting because Matthew didn't say this. Matthew, the way he said it, kind of sounded like the centurion went there himself. But this is how big God is on delegation. Delegation, if it represents correctly, it's as if the person did it themselves. And we need to learn about how we have the name of Jesus. And authority has been delegated to us. And when we truly say something in faith and power in the name of Jesus, it's as though he said it. A lot of lessons to learn here. He sent the elders of the Jews. They besought him that he would come heal his servant. So they're speaking for the centurion. He must have made a good impression for them to do this. They came to Jesus. They besought him instantly saying he was worthy for whom he should do this. Now the centurion said something else. He said he wasn't worthy. Did you notice that? They said oh man this is a good man. You, you should do this for him. This is wrong thinking. Healing is not a reward. You don't receive healing because of what a good person you've been. Many have failed to receive because of thinking that way. And maybe they wouldn't say it that way exactly, but they'd go, God, I'm a good Christian. I've been given to the church. I work in the church. I'm there every time the door is open. Why won't you heal me? Wrong question. Wrong thinking. Why won't he heal you? He's already bought and paid for your healing. It ain't a matter of talking him. That's like saying a sinner saying, why won't you save me? It's not a matter of getting him to do it. It's a matter of us receiving it. Just like you've got to receive Jesus as your Savior to be born again, you've got to receive Jesus as your healer. It's our receiving that's the issue, not getting him to do it for us. You don't have to talk him into something. He's already done. But you come to him telling him how good you are and how much you deserve this, you disqualify yourself from grace. Grace is all about a gift. A free gift that you don't deserve, you didn't earn, you don't merit. Healing's this. Forgiveness is this. I don't like to use, I don't like people use the word deserve concerning me. Sometimes people mean well, they say, oh, you know, you, you deserve, something good happened to you. They say, you know, you deserve that. I don't always correct them, it's not always appropriate. But in my mind, I'm saying no. No, I don't deserve it. But I get to enjoy it anyway. <laughs> because of grace. I haven't earned 
the blessings of God. I don't deserve them, nor do you, nor do any of us. That's why it's grace. It's a free, unearned, undeserved gift that you get to receive by faith. Do you believe it, saying to God? So, 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 you know, don't bring up to God what a good Christian you are. <laughs> when it comes to your body being healed and your bills being paid, just don't go there. Don't. Tell, help your neighbor out. Tell them, don't go there. Don't. <laughs> well, they went there. They're telling him, he's worthy. Oh, he's deserving. He's deserving. Verse 5, for he loves our nation. And has built us a synagogue. Well, he had some money. This is good. Verse 6. Jesus went with them. When he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying what? He sees them coming. Now, would most people stand there and be quiet and let Jesus come on to the house? Oh, yeah, yeah. But most people don't have the greatest faith either. See, we prayed and asked the Lord to show us why, why does this man have what Jesus called the greatest faith? It was this strong realization that I'm asking for this, but I'm not saying I deserve it. This is humility. And this is reality, because he didn't deserve it, nor do you, nor do I. I'm telling you, watch about that word deserve. It can get in the way between you and your blessing and your prayer answered. Because the truth is, you don't deserve. And you'll hear people sometimes, you know, something bad's happening in their life, and they go, I don't understand, I don't understand. I'm a Christian. What did I ever do to deserve this? And the answer is lots. Lots. Plenty. You have failed. You have sinned and come short of the, the glory of God. If you and I got what we deserved for our performance and failures, we'd die young and go to hell. You don't want to talk about what you deserve. You want to talk about mercy. Mercy. And grace. Mercy and grace means you don't get the bad stuff you deserved. And you do get the glorious stuff you don't deserve. And could never earn and merit. Somebody say, thank you Lord for mercy and grace. But you see, if you keep talking about what you deserve. You're disqualifying yourself from grace. That includes healing. No. He says to them, no, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy. Now, I know we don't like that phrase because we know the Lord has made us worthy. But that's what he has done, not what you have done. And what we've done, that's still unworthy. He said, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now this, friend, this is real humility and honor 
Because this, in, in the natural, this man could have arrested Jesus and killed him. And nobody would have said a word. He, politically, militarily, he has the power. Like I said, these guys could punish Roman citizens without a trial. Nobody else could do that. They had clout. They could come in, take you to jail. Nobody could say a word about it. Execute you. And for him to be showing this preacher this kind of respect. Come on, can you see this? That's why he's in the book. Everybody say respect. Honor. He said, no, no, I, you don't have to come to my house. I, I don't deserve that you come to my house. Lord, help me to say this right. You can't separate faith from honor. You can't separate them. Because our faith is not just in faith. Our faith is in the person of God. And many have made the mistake of learning a few faith principles and saying and thinking, I have faith in faith. I believe this, I say this, I believe this, I say this, and things will happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And that's true. Even sinners, even people that don't believe in God at all, you can see sometimes they put faith principles into practice and get some temporary results. But that's not what you and I should be talking about. Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. Not, not just in faith. Not just in principles. Not just in knowledge. But in the person. If you got faith in the person of God, you're going to show respect. Come on, can you see this? For the person of God. You're going to show honor for the person of God. And this lackadaisical whatever attitude is spiritual bankruptcy. It's much more serious than people realize. You know, I, I told Mike... Uh, when we're in Nigeria last time, and some of the same things happened this time, before we got, we had an escort everywhere we went. It's needful. We had police, armed police, and armed military. We had guys in uniform with automatic weapons. And everywhere we went, sirens, and <laughs> like we were somebody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for our protection. And uh, when we got ready to go, we got to the airplane. I started to walk in the terminal. And uh, one of the men said to me, they said, the, the soldiers had asked, would you pray for them? Oh, right. I said, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I looked over at them. And I said, yes, come here. And man, they ran over. They whipped off their hats and they knelt just like this. And, and when, uh, when they did that, the policemen were over on the other side of the parking lot. They saw them. They ran over. <laughs> they whipped off their hats. And they all knelt down. And I, it blessed me. 
But it also made me realize, would you see it to that degree in your own country? In a lot of places, no. Some places, yes, but this is not good. And people think, well, I'm not going to kneel down and I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Yeah, and you know, you'll never have the greatest faith. You don't understand honor. It's not a matter about making a big deal out of a man or woman. It's making a big deal out of God Amen. and the things of God yes. and prayer yes. and the word. Amen. If you want to see the big results, the faith has to come. And it's inseparable from honor. Can you say amen? amen. Let's keep reading. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm, uh, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Neither thought I myself worthy to come to you. That's why he didn't go in person. He said, you know, I'm, I'm not a Jewish Rabbi, I'm not, I've killed a lot of people. I've been a hard man. He obviously had respect for God. Or he wouldn't have built them a synagogue. You see what we keep saying? It's amazing how you'll find great faith in places you wouldn't necessarily expect. And he, uh, he said, I, I, I don't, even though politically, militarily, he's in control. He could have sent soldiers to bring Jesus to him. He could have forced him to come. You know, maybe he thought so. We've seen instances where that didn't work, right? Jesus just walked out of the crowd, or Jesus said, I am he, and they all fell to the ground. But he didn't try any of that. He is, now here's the, here's the key word. He is humbling himself. He is submitting himself. It took us all morning to get here, but here, this is the place. Who's making him do this? Nobody's making him do this. Who's making him humble himself in front of Jesus? Saying, I, I, I don't deserve for you to come in my house. You, you don't have to. That's why I didn't come to you personally. I'm not a Pharisee, a doctor of the law. He is humbling himself. Everybody said out loud, humble yourself. Is God going to make you humble? No, he's not. If you don't humble yourself, it won't happen. He is submitting himself because he goes into the detail about how he understands authority. He's under authority. He has people under him. And, and so why is he telling Jesus that? He's saying, I'm acknowledging you have authority. He's heard, maybe he's seen about Jesus commanding diseases to leave and, and ministering and the demons leaving. He's heard about that. The Bible said he heard of Jesus. And he has enough spiritual awareness to realize whether he thought he was the son of God or not, this man has authority. He has spiritual power. He has spiritual authority. He has something from God. He's from God and he respected that. And he submitted to that. And that was key to him having what Jesus called the greatest faith. Can you see this, friends? He said, uh, I didn't think myself worthy to come. And this, this is good because it's a matter of deserving. And even though we've been made righteous in Christ, 
That's in Christ, not in ourselves. He did it, we didn't do it. Still, when you talk about our merits, we don't deserve it based on what we've done. Based on who we are after the natural, we don't deserve it. And we need to know that. We need to act like that. It'll, it'll help you in life, too, when you quit acting like other people owe you something. It'll just help you so much. The Lord said this to me some years ago. He said, uh, if you believe somebody owes you something, you make it impossible for them to be gracious to you. Now, you may have to think about that one a little bit. But if you think they owe it to you, if they did it, you wouldn't even be thankful. Because you think they, you think it's owed to you. So you've made it impossible for them to be gracious to you. You've taken it out of the realm of grace. And with God, that's all there is. Is the realm of grace or do without? He said, neither thought I myself worthy to come to you, but say in a word. Give me the order. That's all I need. Give me the command. And what's going to happen? If you'll say it, it'll happen. Verse 8. For, why are you saying this, centurion? Because I understand authority. So understanding rank, authority, submission is key to having the greatest faith. He said, I got men under me. Excuse me. I'm under authority. I have superiors over me that I answer to. And I have soldiers under me. We know he had at least a hundred, maybe two or three hundred. And I say to one of them, go. And he says, but it's hot outside. (laughs) He says, I don't feel like it. (laughs) The next thing that man would feel was a stick across his head. The centurions carried a staff, a stick, and they frequently used it for discipline. You got hit, or worse. (laughs) So, everybody knew that, so when he said go, usually what happened? There was going, immediate, unquestioned, without delay, going. Should we be that way with the Lord? Come on, should we or not? Should we? Do you think most people are? No. No. Should we be? Yeah, if our faith grows, will we be more like this? Inseparable. I say to one, go. He goes. I tell another one, come here. And he says, when I get time. (laughs) I'm busy right now. But no, no, no. He comes. I tell my servant. You got to remember, it's his servant he's asking healing for. Right. His servant is submissive to the place he has in his life, which gives him a right to believe for him like he's believing. The more people submit to spiritual leadership, the more the leaders can use their faith on their behalf. The less they do, the less they can. Many don't understand this, but it's true. There's been numerous instances of people that we've known 
People associated with sin in ministry and churches, something came up, some kind of crisis, some kind of trauma. And I, there's been cases where I knew I couldn't just believe like it was me. They're not hooked. They're not submitted. They haven't given me that place in their life or Phyllis. But there's other times I knew I could. I knew I could. I can speak bold to it. I can stand because I knew if they were standing right here with me, they'd say, yes, Brother Keith, do it. Do it. <laughs> I know they're hooked. I know they're submitted to that. I know I can do it. Some you can, some you can't. Verse 9. Jesus heard these things. He marveled at him. And he turned him about and he said to the people that followed him, I say to you, I have not found so great faith. Now, you hear the word so great. That's where we get this term greatest. I haven't found this great of faith so great of faith, no, not in Israel, not in the whole country have I seen and heard faith like this. It's the greatest faith I've seen in the nation. That included all the Pharisees, Sadducees, is that right? Doctor, people who spent their whole life studying scriptures, doesn't mean you automatically have faith. Because it's not just about faith in principles. It's faith in the person. Faith in the person of God. And if you trust. Another word for faith is trust. If you trust that person. You will obey that person. And that's a word that is. A four letter word. In our society. Obey. 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 Obey? Yes. Obey. Is that what this centurion is saying? I'm under authority. When they speak, I, when they say jump, I, I move. And them guys under me, when I tell them move, they move. Why is he saying that? Because, Lord, if you say move, it's going to move. And that's when Jesus turned around and said, now that's some faith, boys. That's what I've been talking about. Right there. Are y'all listening? <laughs> He's telling his staff. Are you paying attention to this? Do you see this man? He doesn't think he deserves it. He doesn't think I owe him anything. He's making a request that I give a command. That's all he needs. He don't need to feel anything. He don't need to see anything. He don't need any test results. He don't need any reports. He don't need any counseling sessions. He don't need anybody to vote on anything. He wants a command. The man wants a command. Hallelujah. He wants a command. Amen. He wants an order. Yes. And Jesus smiled from ear to ear. He said, that's amazing. This is the greatest faith I've seen in the whole country. Greatest faith I've ever seen around here. And then he said, you want a command? Boy, you got your command. Here you go. Be it done to you. Just like you believed. That's all it took. His servants dying at the point of death. Paralyzed, in constant pain, tormented, and just like that, he ain't. Pain's gone. He can get up and he can move around. Who knows how long he lived after this? Can God still do stuff like this? Does he still want to do stuff like this? He never changes. He never has. What's the determining factor? What's the variable in these situations? Not God, the faith. 
the faith is the variable. Keep reading. We're just about there. Just about done. I hadn't found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Verse 10. They that were sent, returning to the house, they found the servant not just better. What does whole mean? You know, if you're relieved of the symptoms, unless the cause is fixed, you'll get back in that same condition, right? So the cause was fixed, and he was whole. He found his servant whole that had been sick. Stand on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.